Welcome back to episode one, part two of the AKA podcast. I am your host, Brent Figgy, and we are here with our guest, Mark Pavitas, and we're going to get straight into the interview. On our AKA Facebook page, we threw out a post asking for some questions. Some what what would the would the listeners here like to know about Mark Pavitas? And uh, I've got a whole list of questions here, and this is a little little prize giveaway that are involved for this. Uh, if I pick your question here, you will be getting a $10 gift card to raceaka.com. Uh, so if you do hear your question, feel free to shoot us a message uh, through our Facebook page and we will get you all set up. And our first question, this question is from Jason Todd. Uh, Jason says, how do you come up with new tire concepts? And that's tire with an, with a Y. So I'm guessing he's, he's from Europe, perhaps the UK. Uh, so how do you come up with new tire concepts when it seems all companies seem to be closely matching each pattern? Uh, yeah, I mean, a lot of, a lot of companies utilize some design from each other's production tires. Um, but being in the industry so long and trying different types of tires, different patterns, whether it's a square pin or a round pin, or maybe if it's just a bar type, um, we all kind of know over the years that certain things yield certain results and where those pins or bars uh, or ribs are placed on the tire. Um, it's just something that we have in our just mental storage of what's worked and what hasn't worked. There's no real true formula. It's, it's really trial and error. Everyone that makes a tire, there's no true prototyping. Um, you can't machine a tire and then go try it and say, yeah, that's it. It, it really has to be in a, in a finished state and then ran in your current production, uh, rubber compounds to really get a true idea of whether it works or not. So for example, we, we raced the Roar Nash 1.8 Nationals and we showed up there with a new type tire and had good results, finished second and third, um, but fell a little bit short. Everyone asked, hey, when do I get that tire? Well, we felt that we have room to make some changes to that tire and to that mold. So we've come back and we're making some changes where need be and Hopefully soon that tire will be out in a production form with the changes we feel um, are necessary to compete at that level. Um, but it's really trial and error. I mean, there's no there's no proven formula. So would you say that the tracks more or less influence what tread patterns you develop? Yeah, I mean, for example, five years ago, we wouldn't be racing on all these tracks with slick tires or... Um, sugar tracks sugar tracks yielding different compounds or tighter type treads you know um or go back even further when the tracks weren't prepared they were more of a fluffy condition so you needed a, a tire that had more pin spacing and more self-cleaning where these the tracks now for the majority are very low maintenance meaning Track owners just want to have them very high grip, um, pack them in real good so that the track stays consistent. But being packed in like that, you need more of a denser tire. You need something that helps support the car a little bit differently than, say, you would if you're racing on more of a loamy surface. So, yeah, it's a good question. Like I said, tracks have changed over time, which has influenced 
the design of tires. Well, there's kind of a follow-up question from Devin Monk Cannon. Um, it actually could kind of precede that. But Devin says, what all goes into designing and releasing a tire that AK is proud of from paper to actually testing it? What's the process? Um, well, one of our first tires, the City Block, um, you know, I'll go back to that one because that one really kind of put us on the map. For one, we are a new company. Um, people knew, obviously, Gil and I coming from, you know, our backgrounds in the tire industry and then coming up with a tire that was really tight, but kind of a two stage type tire. It was more of a concept thing. Hey, no, we, we've never really tried it in a small type step, step pin like that. And, um, so we released that tire and the industry kind of followed and, uh, it was really kind of a groundbreaking tire back then you know, as far as a step pin goes, because no, you know, everyone refers to a step pin as this big open tire used on fluffy conditions where we came out with something that was more tight, used in more hard back, hard pack and dusty conditions. So everything kind of starts off as a concept, whether it's on paper or on a little whiteboard. And then we kind of kick around some ideas, draw it up, um, we may we go as far as getting a 3D rapid prototype of a section of it, so we can see what it looks like in in uh, holding it in our hands, and it's that touchy feel thing, you know. Gives you some good perspective and scale when it's right, right. Because right. what you see on the TV or TV screen, on the computer screen, even though you know it's you know you measure it and everything else, it's it's different when you're holding something. So. Uh, we often get stuff rapid prototyped and take a look at it. And um, if everyone, you know, likes it and we think it's going to get us where we need to be, then we go ahead and uh, get it tooled up. And once we get it tooled up, samples are made and tested and everything's approved there. Then it moves on to production. We release it to production and everything's good to go. Then it hits the shelves. Yeah. It's tracks. Great. Thanks for the question, Devin. And we're going to move on to, here's a question from one of your old buddies, uh -oh. a, uh, a, an AKA team driver himself and uh, a legendary racer from back in the day, Steve Chamberlain. Oh. So Steve asks, is it a bad idea to use plastic camber links in big races? I'm guessing this one's a little inside. Why don't you, why don't you give us a story on, on this uh, one? First of all, Steve's going to owe us $10. We're not giving him ten dollar gift. Uh, so yeah, so back when Steve and I, our parents would drop us off at the track, or in Steve's case, when he'd walk across the street from his house to the track. Um, there happened to be this race, a small race called the Reedy Race of Champions, and I don't know if I've heard of that one. You before. haven't heard of it? No, I don't think so. Yeah, it's usually once a year. And uh, where was this one held at? At uh, RCHR in Costa Mesa, California. Okay. So um, back then, uh, drivers from all the manufacturers, you know, Japan, Tamiya, Yokomo, I mean, who's who would come to this race? And again, they had the similar format like they have now. They had the open class. And, you know, I was one of the local kids who went to the track all the time and was very fast and kind of like what we were saying earlier, you know, I, 
I didn't race with the top guys, but so I stayed in the open. You know, I needed to prove myself, so I wanted to ra- race with the guys in Invitational. Right. So in order to do that, you had to win one of these open classes. So it came down to uh, myself and Steve Chamberlain, and Steve Chamberlain at the time was racing a Kyosho Ultima, and he was getting help from like Chris McElroy and and uh, some of those guys with help, you know, set up help. And the Kyosho Ultima, this was the old vintage uh, rail type chassis that Joel Johnson uh, used to win the world championships. Well, this car came with plastic preset camera legs. <laughs> So, which was great. You pop them on you're and good. yeah, you're good to go. It has perfect camber. As long as you don't want to adjust your camber. Right. So <laughs> the tires, you know, have maybe zero or one degree negative camber and, you know, there's no, there's no eyeball in our check. You just pop it on you're done. So Steve Chamberlain was out and he had a few turns lead on me with maybe a minute or so to go. And all he had to do was get this last few minutes in and he goes over a jump and this thing pops off and I inherit the lead not too far, you know, maybe a corner or two behind them. And, uh, that put me into the invitational class. And the big ongoing joke is that that kind of jump started my career. And, and <laughs> <laughs> without him popping off that plastic camber link, I would still be racing in the open class. <laughs> <laughs> I, I hardly believe that that that's true, but, um, Oh, that's pretty funny. Thanks, Steve. <laughs> yeah, I appreciate it. And then Steve now is, uh, I believe he's wrenching on Ferraris and McLarens in, in real life. So Yeah, so he went from... It, it's probably plas- good he didn't win. Yeah, plastic camera links to uh, multi-million dollar crew chief. Yeah, yeah. Must be rough. Yeah. <laughs> Moving on to question from Bob Green. Bob says rather ask, uh, should you run the same front tires as the rear or can you mix them up and have a different pair of front tires and a different pair of rear tires? And should you have the same foam in both tires when they're mixed up? Does it really matter if the foam in the front is different than the rear? So I guess that would be a two-part question of, uh, can you mix tread patterns front and rear and also inserts? Yeah. Um, I mean, a lot of racers do it. Um, I know in, in in ten scale, it's you do it all the time. You know, you you would never run a you know, uh, the same. For example, the rear tire on the front, or you know, maybe that's a little bit drastic. But compound wise, you would rarely run um, the same type of foam setup front and rear. So, for example, eight scale. There's a few racers. For example, David Ronafolk. He's had huge success racing um, with different types of tires, front and rear, as well as compounds, you know, and the big city block combo, also Jared Tebow, big fan of that uh, combo. You know, kind of mixing it up, giving the car a different feel. Um, my friend Keevan Sharp, he he's, uh, he's another one that kind of mixes it up a little bit. It just gives the car... You know, everyone thinks, oh, same tire, eight scale, it's easy to take a set of impacts and put them on the front rear and, and be done with it. And you're like, oh, now my car's hard to drive. Well, you have the same compound front and the rear. You know, 
you need it's not really working out so you need to maybe stiffen up the front go to instead of uh super soft go to a soft in the front with a super soft in the rear make the car a little easier to drive more stable um not have as much turn in a little smoother on exit you know those are the types of stuff to to kind of keep in your back pocket when things aren't going exactly the right way and maybe you can't tune it out through the car you could tune it out through tires and tires are such a huge part of the car that um, a lot of people forget about that tuning option especially in eight scale yeah so people shouldn't be uh, shy or intimidated by uh, you know trying something a different tire up front no no not at all um, tracks with low grip oh my car's hard to drive i go to turn in it, it gets loose well it's probably getting loose because you have you're running the same compound front and rear so where the tire may be folding under on the front and getting too much grip try taking some grip away um it just makes it smoother you know why why fight your car when it's as easy of a change just to go to a slightly harder tire or, or on, foam on uh 10 scale it's pretty common uh, for like non-clay tracks to run one compound harder up front than it is the rear just yeah to smooth out steering super common for short course and even stadium truck too yeah exactly around the around the board good question good question so next question is from nathan genda or genda i apologize if i botched your name uh, he says, Mark, what is your favorite type of surface to run on? Uh, sugar high traction, slick, damp clay, or just plain old getting sideways wet track? I tend to like the just standard outdoor type track that's naturally, yeah, it may have some bumps here and there, you know, but just natural. Uh, I, I tend to find that these tracks that are sugared, yeah, they're great to race on by yourself <laughs> but because they're so high grip um any contact with another car somebody's flipping you know and you it's more prevalent on you know these astro tracks or carpet tracks the cars are just so so stuck there's no give and they're know? so fast too so fast it's insane how fast cars go when they have unlimited grip right makes racing a lot harder yeah, exactly. So when you can slide it in a little bit, it uh, makes for racing a little bit better. And I tend to like it a little bit better myself. Yeah. Well, the next question comes from one of our locals here and also another team driver, Jimmy Wright. Jimmy asks, who do you consider to be to this day the greatest RC racer of all time? All things considered, not just wins or titles, talent, setup, ability, personality, etc. Of all time? I mean, Masami comes to mind. I the hair. To do it in all the classes that he's done, you know, he's pretty well-rounded drivers, one in in all those classes. Um, I, yeah, I mean, to say that there's anyone above him would, you know, he's the guy. He's the man. Yep. If you're not familiar with Masami, go ahead and Google him. You'll, you'll find a picture of him standing in front of all of his trophy cars and trophies, and it's, it's unbelievable. It's of epic proportions. Right. Yeah, he's the man. <laughs> he is. John Gilbert Jr. asks, if you didn't go down the route of RC and RC products, what would be your career path? I love I, mean, I love motocross, but for a career, I, I don't know, 
flying to me just fascinates me. A friend of ours, Matt Castellano, he's pursuing being a pilot and I'm, you know, I think that is so cool. You know, I mean, of course there's some concerns that come with it, but it's what a cool career. So, yeah. Pilot. Pilot. Pilot it is. Yeah. Big planes, little planes. Yeah. Anything with wings? Sure. Yeah. <laughs> Let's do it. Count them in. All right. Thanks, John, for the question. Next question. This comes from Mark Adams. Mark asks, how do you feel your relationship with Gil Losey Jr. has influenced your career at AKA and some of the great products coming from AKA? <laughs> uh, <laughs> Where do you start? Yeah. I mean, Gil, Gil has a, so much back, you know, history in, in our industry and, uh, you know, when we first ventured off on this whole AKA, uh, project, <laughs> to be quite honest, it was pretty overwhelming. Um, he's got a lot of insight onto it. So I think questions that I had that maybe I may have been lost on or, just looking for answers was good to have Gil there, especially in the beginning. And uh, just having his feedback, I think, was good. You know, two heads are always better than one. So um, maybe I wasn't looking at things the right way or vice versa. And, you know, we all we both kind of leaned on each other in that respect. And uh, his insight into manufacturing is something key that I think, you know, a lot of the customers don't see. Everyone sees an end product. No one sees the the behind the scenes, what's involved to get that product. And that's been one of the key key things working with Gil is the, the manufacturing process and uh, getting from A to Z um, with Gil has been fun and, and very informative. Next question comes from uh, <laughs> another little inside question. This is from John Pyant from, uh, you guys might have heard that name before. He's uh, a J Concepts team manager. Never heard of him. Never, never heard of J who? <laughs> John asks, which is your favorite European fan manufacturer and is there an endorsement deal in the works? <laughs> I've heard this story. Uh... So... So for a lot of people that don't know, you know, uh, traveling to events all over the world, uh, supporting team, you know, the AK team, uh, customers, we also get to travel, you know, it's just a big family, our industry. So traveling with other manufacturers and, you know, getting to hang out with them is, you know, one of the perks of our industry, as long as everyone's getting along. Um, but <laughs> We traveled to France a few years ago, and they happened to be going through a heat wave. And the hotel we booked, half of it had air conditioning, and the other half didn't have air conditioning. And, uh, of course, the room that I was in had zero air conditioning. <laughs> so it was like 100 in the in, during the day. And, and uh, you know, the big joke was like, you know, I got to find a fan. You know, I was dying. And, you know, I came back to the hotel one day and I had this huge stand-up fan and I, I took it everywhere I went with it. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, so that's kind of the story with that. And uh, 
I think I needed it too because the coffee they serve over there is so dang hot. Comes in this small Dixie cup cup that it's basically a puddle of plastic. By the time you get done drinking it, it's it, they serve it so hot. So uh, everybody likes a little piping hot espresso. Yeah, yeah, it's good. It's it's not a, a venti mocha frappuccino, extra sugar, triple pumps. Yeah, that you get over in America, huh? Yeah, yeah. So it's fun traveling with those guys. Yeah, it's it's good to. Uh, I think a lot of people don't don't realize that RC's kind of is a big family. You know, even from the our competitors, you know, with J Concepts, Proline, those guys, we all we all actually do get along quite well. Um, there's a lot of good people in the industry, you know, and you kind of don't really want to make enemies with somebody that you see every weekend. No, I mean, you know, <laughs> it's our, no fun. Yeah. Our, our industry is small. Um, Tiny. I know, I know back in the day, you know, when I've raced against other companies, you know, for example, you just, it was just, Hey, those are the bad guys. Yeah. The- <laughs> you know, don't talk to them. You know, if they bump you, you know, bump them back or, <laughs> you know, it went, it went always, you know, but I think things have changed in that respect. Yeah. Um, companies now tend to um, work a little closer together, even if we are competing against each other. Um, like we're all here for one reason, you know, we're not here to try to make anyone mad or anything like that. You know, we do want to make good product for our customers and, by having healthy competition just produces better product for the end user. Definitely. It definitely does. That all ties back in into uh, what we were talking about earlier with the sponsorship, with the communication and getting product feedback. I mean, that's why I was saying, you know, even if you're sponsored by somebody else, you know, it doesn't matter. Just get in touch with your team manager, let them know what you like and what you don't like. And in turn, it's going to help you. It's going to get better products for you. It's going to, it's going to push, um, you know, the evolution of products and the advancement and having better performing products, you know, all across the board. Yeah. It's kind of a win-win for everybody. Yeah. All right. The last question here, and probably one of my favorites on here, it comes from Phil Morris. Phil said, if you had to change paint, paint schemes with any pro driver, who would it be and why? Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, paint schemes. Anybody from over the years that stands out. J.D. Beckwith had a really cool paint scheme. Or Rick Velo. Those two stand out. I mean, these guys were back in the early 90s. But uh, their paint schemes, to me, really stood out. I know the scheme that, you know, the famous scheme that Brian Kenwald runs is kind of a version of what Rick Velo used to run. And... um. JD Beckwith always had these bodies that were just amazing that it got painted from a guy back in Louisiana, Louisiana, I believe. Um, just really cool detail. Um, you know, with the drips and all that stuff back then it was all about the drips, but, uh, those were, those two kind of stood out. So, but yeah, those, I would say those two. Don't ask me exactly what they look like. I just knew they had they were, had drips and and fluorescent colors in them, which sounds very vague. But yeah, it's some of the the first few guys that actually did that. And uh, yeah, we'll see if we can get some pictures up on on social media. Yeah, 
show you guys. So the second part of the interview with Mark, um, just wanted to, to go over a few questions from me, actually. Um, one of the things that I want to talk about uh, is uh, is your son, Ryan. How old's Ryan now? He is 13. 13. How long How long has he been racing RC for? Uh, well, he started off just with a short course, <laughs> <laughs> you know, just bashing around the track and for something him, you know, to do. And, of course, like most, I want that. It's faster. <laughs> yep. So, okay, charging a battery, it's quiet, you know, um, we've gone to the gas races, he likes the noise of it, and it sounds cool, and, you know, it's fast, so, okay, we got an eight-scale car. So, yeah, he's, I'd say he's been racing on a regular basis now for two and a half years, on something that's steady. Of course, he's done it longer than that, but right. nothing on a where he really wants to do it. You know, he's the one that kind of pushes me now um, to go more to the track, you know, which I get. I was that way when I was younger. You know, my dad basically would drop me off at the track, (laughs) you know, leave me. And then, hey, I'll pick you up at five, you know. So it was more like a babysitting service at the track. But uh, So is it you dragging him to the track these days or more of him dragging you to the track? Oh, he's dragging me. (laughs) <laughs> he's dragging me you know i have a lot of stuff going on on the weekends it's kind of my downtime to get away but um you know i know he wants to do it and uh i'm not forcing him to do it which is kind of cool because it just shows the passion that he has to to want to be good and i see him when he makes mistakes and he gets mad at himself i i mean i kind of laugh i probably shouldn't but that's just the passion in him and the competitiveness that he wants to do good, and uh, so it's good to see. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I've I've been able to uh, go to quite a few races with you guys lately, and and see him improve as a as a racer, and it's it's a chip off the old block, I guess you can say. Yeah, he. I think he sees a lot of the the other part that I, I've never taught him to do a race report on his Facebook page or anything like yeah. that. Never. And I think he sees a lot of that um, from some of our other team guys, and it's it's great to see that. I I never told him to do that, and uh, I mean some of the things he writes, I'm pretty he can write and talk better than I can. <laughs> he he's definitely a smart kid, no doubt about that. Is uh was, does he have uh, any future plans in RC yet? Does he is he have the the dreams and aspirations of becoming a world champion and following his dad's footsteps, or is well, he just he having wants, fun right now? Yeah, he's having fun. I mean, he would love to go to every race, every weekend, practice every day. You know, twice a day. <laughs> uh, but you know, his his thing is, you know, he wants to go to some of these bigger races, but obviously school's a huge part of you know there's big races during the school year so school is definitely first and he's done really good at balancing that and he knows um you know last year we took off uh from school a little bit more than i'd like to see him take off but at the same time he was uh 4.0 in his classes and uh really staying on top of that, but I kind of limit it, even though he's still getting good grades, I kind of limit it to taking off 
for for example the nitro challenge that's more or less a you know week long yes uh, that is an epic race yeah and uh, even when the race is over you're still recovering from the race <laughs> so it's really a week long it's a 7 day event you know from basically monday to monday and uh so that's one race that he kind of works for during the school year, um, keeping his grades up and uh, knowing that if he does that, he can take that week off. And um, so we really kind of limit, try to limit the number of days he's out of school because, you know, the longer you're out of school, the less you're learning and, and staying with the class on what they're learning. So school's first and then uh, racing second. And yeah, he's doing a good job of balancing both. Ah, that's great to hear. Now, what would you give uh, advice to any of the dads out there that are, that are you know, racing with their sons or thinking about getting their young sons into RC? What, what, are, what would you say is a couple of the most important things to, to keep in mind and you know, to have fun and, and build that relationship, you know, father and son relationship? I think just keeping it fun. You know, maybe the track isn't, the place you go you know maybe it is just finding a field and making a jump out of dirt you know and uh, keeping it fun um hanging out you know being involved you know uh being involved is probably the biggest part there's a lot of people like i said uh a lot of people that out there that a lot of kids that may not have that support and the rc track is um, there's definitely a lot of good people out there, a lot of father, father and sons, um, a lot more than I've seen in the past, which is kind of cool. So, um, we try to do a lot together and, and RC is a, a great way to do, do something we both like to do together. Great. All right. Well, I think that is about time to wrap up this episode, uh, episode one of the AKA podcast. So Mark, thanks for hanging out. Thanks for answering the onslaught of questions from our listeners and uh, hope to have you back soon. Yeah, it was awesome. Thanks for listening, guys. We are going to uh, be making this uh, as often of a podcast as possible. If you guys have any questions, uh, any topics, anything you want to hear, anything you want to ask us, uh, get a hold of us through our Facebook page. Send us a question, post on our wall. You can tweet us at RaceAKA. Um, you can send us smoke signals, you know, however you want to get a hold of us, we'd be more than happy to uh, hear what you guys have to say and, and talk about some of the things that you guys are curious about. So thanks for listening. We'll catch you next time.